You live, though. Traumatized. Never. You couldn't tell, eh? Like I wear it on my sleeve, eh? Yeah. All right. All right, man. Fire her up. All right. Good day, eh? Hey, guys. What's going on today? Good day, and welcome to another Forge Side Chat, a podcast about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between, with a heavy focus on talent in the Great White North. We're talking about Canada, and uh, today on the chat, we've got Adam Doherty, who is of uh, Blackrock Forge. He's uh, a part-time smith out of Blackrock, Nova Scotia. He's been at it for about four years now. And uh, his focus is on uh, knives, blade work, and uh, artistic smithing. So, anyways, Lando, how are you doing today, buddy? That's a that's a, a broad range of um, of focus: knives and artistic blacksmithing. It's kind of nailing almost every every corner of the show that we try to try to focus on. There, that's that's uh, it's gonna be an interesting chat. I'm looking forward to hearing more about this, man. Me personally, what I've been up to, dude. Yeah. Well, found out that the uh, engine on my truck is pooched. I uh, was playing around on that last week and found a hole in the valve cover. Uh-oh. Which kind of led to a very strong suspicion of what's happened and a little bit of in- investigation led to uh, to confirmation of that. And I've got a blowing valve train with a, uh, you know, everything's fell and seized up beyond that. So she's ugly. She's no good, man. And yeah. uh, outside of that, I just, yeah, I got COVID, dude. I've been yeah. I feel like crap. I'm still kind of dealing with it today, so sorry if I, uh, you know, if I'm not quite all there. I, I feel like I am, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how know. it goes. Lando may or may not be on his A game today. Uh, have I ever been on my A game? I don't know. Oh, Anyways, I think so. yeah, okay. Uh, well, I'm in the we'll same see. boat as you, man. I've got truck problems. I uh, threw a brake pad, and while I was at it, I needed new tires. And get my exhaust manifold welded so i've been stuck at home uh, yeah my one smithing relating thing i did get to go down to delta ontario to the uh, old stone mill for a hammering it was fun to get back into forging with coal again and uh do some smith and striker work it's a lot of fun was that the video you sent uh of you and terry yep that's the one nice nice yeah that was like fun yeah it was a blast how about you, Adam? What do you got going on? Uh, I'm just kind of getting back into, whether well, it's kids are in school, it's back into the mode of getting some stuff done, put on the website for Christmas. That's coming around sooner than later. Try to get a bunch of stuff on the website. Very true. Finish up a couple knives this week. Oh, perfect. Right That's on. Uh, perfect chance for you to shout out your website. Ah, yeah. Blackrockforge.ca. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. And that's right it. on, man. Yeah, so doesn't have uh, nothing, nothing to do with the town that you live in. I don't suppose. Uh, eh? Just coincidence. <laughs> I'm here in Nova Scotia, on top of a mountain, down an old dirt road, in the middle of the woods, on Black Rock Mountain. Oh, that's cool, dude! On the top of a mountain, that's wicked awesome, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. You see the ocean from where you are? Uh, no, it's as a crow flies, only five minutes away. We go there all the time. It'd be the Bay of Fundy. Oh, oh cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Right you guys on. Got a got a boat or anything like that that you go around the ocean no. with, or you just go down? Just go to down the, the beach shore, or... have supper, bonfires. Kids go for a little swim when it's warm out, but that's about it. Yeah, I have uh, fond memories of uh, swimming in the Atlantic when I was a kid. It's always a bit on the cold side. Did you hear that? Oh yeah, I did. I love you. Oh, it's that a moosehead? Looks like a geese. Keith, okay. Well, hey, it was one or the other. Yeah. Should have known better. Should have given the keys yeah. off the hop. Jeez Louise. Moosehead's uh, Newfoundland, right? Moosehead's uh, what we call most piss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, if you're going to talk about Newfoundland beers, you got to talk about the black horse and the jockey. Oof. Yeesh, yeah. yeah. Hey, black horse <laughs> is good beer. I don't know. I don't know. Good. I know they, Very big quotation marks, but still. I know this the screech deal, but I don't know anything about the beer out there. Kiss the cod or whatever, yeah. eh? You guys, do you guys do that? Anything like that in Nova Scotia? You got anything uh, weird like that? I don't or? think so. No. Oh, uh, they're vastly more sensible yeah, people. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what got you into blacksmithing, dude? Uh, yeah, let's hear the story. Well, I was just looking for a hobby. Once my kids got into school, I found myself kind of bored. I'm a full-time production worker, so I got lots of time off during the weeks. And it all started with an anvil, and then it just went out of control from there. And it's been maybe four years, only like two years of selling, but four years of practicing. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a, a good thing to have a couple of years under your belt yeah. before you can start considering. Sales. Oh, there's lots of projects yeah. in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this anvil that you started off with, bud. Uh, my first anvil was a real clean 150 pounder. I don't know the name of it, but I just recently sold that like a month or two ago because I came across a 300 pounder on the marketplace, so I had to scoop that up. Ooh, That's a 300 a pounder. Yeah, yeah. What kind of style of anvil is it? That I don't, is it like a London pattern? I'm not real familiar with the patterns, but the only thing that's marked on it is 1834. Oh, wow. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a single horn single anvil horn with a kind of traditional yeah, layout? Traditional, very traditional. Yeah, yeah London pattern. Right what on. a difference, 300 pounds. 300 pounds? That's a big yeah. anvil. Yeah. yeah, it took two of us to pick it up. That's for sure. No, I bet. Right on. Oh, Lando is pointing, waving, looking. Oh, Lando's consistently going to be distracted this episode. I can tell now. Right on, man. Uh, so did you take any training or anything like that to, to get yourself started? Nope, all self-taught. A shit ton of YouTube videos, of course. Yeah, but, I was about to say, if you're a self-taught guy, YouTube is yeah. an invaluable resource. I haven't done a hammer in. Is there any, uh... Oh, really? Not even that. Oh, you guys man. have uh, much of that out your way, or...? Uh, there's a couple guys that do. Uh, 
Peter, Le, I'm going to butcher his last name, Peter Lepoe, or LePay. He does it every once in a while at Halifax. I'm definitely going to get up there one of these times, okay. but he's my go-to guy for my tongs and hammers. I'm not a tool maker. I really don't have any interest in it, so I support him as a maker. Right. Yeah, he just had uh, Nick Tobin down in his place for a uh, tool yeah. making class or session there. I think he was there for a whole weekend and looked like a good time. He's got a sweet shop. Very nice. Very so, sorry, cool. I didn't mean to derail you there. What were you uh, going off on there? No, just talking about other. Oh movies. no, he was just talking a little bit about. Yeah, and talking about getting how he uh, started getting his skills uh, set up. What kind of uh, projects the, uh, did you first start tackling when you uh, started teaching yourself? A lot of fire pokers, just in general scroll work, trying to get clean scrolls. Uh, quite a few real shitty knives. That's about it, really. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the only way to learn how to make good knives is to make a whole bunch of shitty ones first. Yeah. Definitely a good part of the learning process that's yeah. for sure yeah absolutely it, so going off of that actually if you don't mind nick sorry yeah go ahead man um i'm just the knife thing is that's something that i kind of play with a little bit here in my in my head i i've kind of dabbled a little bit by making a couple spike knives and i've got a couple other knives that are whatever i don't even know what you want to call them but aside from going and actually making a few knives that, like you said, shitty knives most likely off the hop, right? What other things did you find really helped you in that in that learning process? Was it specific videos that you watched on YouTube? Was there anything that somebody said to you specifically that really helped you jump ahead in your process, helped you level up per se? Uh, definitely YouTube, like people like Jason Knight showing good videos on how to, and there's a, there's a bunch of them. Black Bear Forge on my techniques and stuff, that old timer, man, his videos are awesome. Yeah. And just a lot of trial. Yeah, If you want to learn fundamentals, watch him yeah, for sure. Yeah. You ever watch any Walter Sorrells or anything like that? Yeah. A few, not as much as Black Bear Forge, but there's a couple other ones out there. Uh, I can't think of the names right now, but yeah, all YouTube. Just everybody has different techniques, and just trying to scam a couple from everybody and make my own kind of thing. I think is the only way to do it. You got to have your own technique, your own problem solving. I understand oh, yeah. that uh, Mareko Mamousi has a uh, Patreon account thing that you can sign up for where he does. Um a little bit more of private tutorial kind of stuff or whatever. I think if I was to get into the knife game and try to really level myself up in the Damascus and stuff like that, that would probably be one of the people I'd start talking to for sure. I did buy into uh, Nick Rossi's online learning too. I bought one of his courses okay. and that was a big help too. Nick Rossi has the Velocity Grinder, if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, something that Maritime Knife Supply carries. Do you got a 2x72 in your shop? Yeah, I got the Velocity also that I bought from Lawrence at Maritime. No way! Nice. Love it. Sweet, man. Hey, you were saying that you're close to 
to Maritime as well. Like he's right down the street. From Ten you, minutes. Eh? So I put my order in, and and they'll shoot me a message when and where I can come pick it up, and I just pick it up at his work or down in his warehouse, and it's just too close not to. Uh, infinitely jealous. Infinitely. When you're putting in two or three orders a week because you forget things or decide you want it and not have to pay for the shipping, that's that's the bonus. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm I'm really leading heavily on the idea of picking up some proper quench oil from him. I'm getting sick and tired of using and eventually replacing vegetable oil. So uh, I think I'm going to uh, maybe at one point jump on here and uh, actually uh, bite on some quench oil. It is nice. But uh, speaking of <laughs> maritimes, <laughs> you can't just hold the paper up to the screen and expect me to read it out when it's Is it backwards? <laughs> no, it's the right way. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I picked up a ton pack of. I'm sitting here ready to like pro- save my ten percent and got my free belt. <laughs> oh man, I think I need a bit. <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm all ready to just throw it to Lando so he can rattle off the sponsor read. And he's like, here, Nick, you can do it today. And just holds the paper up in front of the, the, the webcam. It's like, come on, man. This is what, the second or third time of most of this thing? You got to give me a bit to get into it. At least I got the intro down at this point. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought you were a quick learner, bud. <laughs> yeah, it's quick learner, and then there's like just the instantaneously spot. be like, boom, read this. And it's just bullet points. It's not even like a I message I can read. It's just bullet points. I need to test the waters with you, bud. <laughs> oh, man. All this getting cut. All of it. <laughs> oh. oh, man. This is gold. This is gold. All right, so anyways, as we were saying, uh, sponsor read, Maritime Knife Supply. Go for it, Lando. Well, Adam was saying he just picked up a 10-pack of uh, grinder belts and saved himself 10% there, got himself a free belt with the pack, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, you'd save yourself $100 on uh, Paragon or even Heat Kilns using the code FSC Kiln. That's one thing I haven't got yet, but it's definitely on my list. Yeah, I was looking at your shop on Instagram, and I was just wondering, it's like, is there a heat tree kiln there? Because you've got a lot of pretty cool gear. I I see you got the uh, Ram's Head Forge behind you, though, from the looks of it. Got that through Lawrence. Maritime. I haven't got a whole lot of chances to use it yet. Just a couple times flattening out some uh, fire stock, but it seems to work really well. Yeah. yeah, nice little 12 ton H frame yeah. press. Hard to beat. I really got that. And I also saw that you've got a little power hammer too, eh? Yeah, I got a 30 pound Anyang I bought from an old timer last summer. Let me tell you, that was an adventure to get that home. I had no idea that oh. that thing weighs over 1,200 pounds. I only drive a little uh, quarter ton <laughs> Toyota Tacoma, and I ratcheted it, strapped it to the back of my truck. And that was about the sketchiest two-hour drive I've ever had in my life. I thought that truck was going to fold right in half. Yep. 
The whole time you're up staring at the sky, oh. trying to peek out over the hood to see the road. You hit a pothole or something. I've done a few of those. Across the road. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. I think uh, moving and transporting heavy stuff is something that you end up developing a lot of experience with when you're setting up your own blacksmith shop. Making me think of my truck. Dang. Yeah, I know. Mine too. My truck. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours is a bit of a cheaper fix. Mine's gonna be like twelve thousand bucks, man. Yeah, yours is getting into buy new truck territory or buy at least new engine. Yeah, I almost should just buy a new truck, honestly. Like, but at the same time, I mean, what do I do with my old truck if I? Yeah, we, make it into knives. <laughs> Take any usable steel that's in it for, for doing knife and tool work. Use it for that. Take all the mild steel and all the other stuff turned into bloomery. Literally smelt your truck down. <laughs> I wish it was that Trucks easy. have gotten man. too expensive to replace. Better off fixing it nowadays. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. that's Well, that's the way it's going to go for a lot of stuff soon. Or is now already. Do you, uh, are you on the Damascus train there, Adam? Uh, I've tried a few. I've had a couple successes, but I've also had a few failures. I actually just took one out of the etch today, but. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's looking nice. That's a little random uh, pattern. This one will end up in the or what, did, Was that. Sorry? Was, was that, uh, is it kind of a ladder? No, it was just random. Or is it all yeah. random? But there is a little okay. D-lamb. Right on the cutting edge, so this one will probably be turned into a bottle opener or fired into the woods too. Try again next yeah. time. Well, yeah, can, that uh, is that is the, the risk old, when you're uh, rolling with Damascus. Yeah, go by the old adage that uh, knife makers don't uh, don't have failed knives; they just make smaller right. ones. Yeah. Last time I made yeah, uh, Damascus, you can always grind back, and it failed. I just made it into uh, pry bars, like for your beer cans and stuff. Yeah, I saw those. They're looking pretty cool. That actually. was a knife that had you stick to pretty low layer stuff. Yeah, you stick to pretty low layer Damascus work. I think the highest I've done so far is sixty layers. Yeah. yeah. No, I know Lando is a big fan of the low layer Damascus. Yeah. Me too, to be honest. Right up his alley. I like the random stuff, personally, myself, than a lot of the mosaic stuff. I I saw Mareko Mamousi did one that he called topographical, or topography style. I thought that was wicked awesome looking. It kind of looked like it had the layout of a, a topographical map type thing, right? Like mountains and valleys type thing and showing all the different layers of heights. But it wasn't your typical raindrop Damascus. It was like raindrop, but kind of more random than raindrop. But then had like that had like poles and weird shapes to the to the rounds. I don't know how to explain it, and how, I don't know how he did it. But I freaking I thought it was awesome. That stuff blows yeah, me away. Uh, how they get those patterns? It's a pretty I don't gorgeous. Even, I can't pattern. even comprehend it in my brain. Yeah. Uh, what it, like for doing mosaic stuff? That is like so much work, so much planning I don't think it and was effort. Mosaic, eh? No, like the think... one that you were talking about—that's the the uh, the landscape style. That yeah, it, I believe, anyways, that's done like 
raindrop or ladder or things like that where you're removing steel to help distort layers bring them up and down yeah you know even if you're doing a random pattern damascus like yeah you're gonna get you know some distortion of the layers as you're going but uh especially if you're going real low layer count oftentimes it can be kind of helpful to go and just you know take an angle grinder and cut some lines into it or take a drill bit and just go a couple little holes here and there you know just they don't need to be deep just a little bit you know enough to help push layers up and down it can give knives a lot more visual interest I was uh, I was talking to Justin about this. He's uh, doing all those knives for well, all those knives. He's doing a few knives up for this uh, TV series that he's part of right now, or that he's he's hosting uh, Fire and Slice. I believe it's what it's called. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? Back this train up! I haven't heard about this. What's going on? What? Yeah, it's part of why Justin had to back out of uh, being part of the uh, podcast right now. Is because yeah, I, I knew he was getting busy, but you never got into any specifics. Yeah, he's uh, getting into a TV. He's starting a TV series. He got uh, got into 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 cahoots with Bell MTS. It's a the local TV thing or whatever, and they've got a you know like a a local series things uh, that they sponsor. And uh, people can come in with ideas or whatever, and you have to have some sort of background in what you're doing and know know people and this and that or whatever, I guess. And Justin fits all the criteria when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, he was he did that wakeboarding thing where he uh, went out to uh, Churchill and then was part of the uh, Manitoba Film Film Festival, I think is what it was called, or something like that, where he presented his film and. They're all they're a big team of guys that were filming and stuff like that and editing and all that kind of sorts. And he does his YouTube channel, which is amazing video editing. If you ever check out his YouTube channel, um, but yeah, he he presented this idea that um, was actually an idea that I brought to him was um, with the podcast we were doing and meeting all these blacksmiths uh, through the podcast and pan iron and everything else that we had done. Like, hey man, how cool would it be if we did? A cross country trip, and we went and we visited all these blacksmiths, and we YouTubed it, and we made like a wicked YouTube channel. Yeah, I remember well, talking, you guys talking about that. Yeah, he went to Bell MTS and was like presented that a similar idea to them about going and visiting a bunch of local blacksmiths and filming it and getting it on on TV. And they said, "Well, I'll come back with something else. It's a really good idea, but it's a little bit beyond our our budget scope." So he came back with this idea of making knives for a few local talents, a chef, a hunter, and something else. A fisherman, I think, is what the other one is. So three three different style of knives for three different um, people in, in, in the industry or whatever, right? Three different industries that use knives. And so he's going to document the making of the knife, the use of the knife, and then whatever else goes into all of that or whatever so right now he's if you go onto his instagram he's got a bunch of stuff that he's been uh, presenting in regards to that whole scenario yeah it's fire fire slice fire fire and slice it's oh, uh, really awesome yeah yeah i know it's I, i'm i'm stoked for the guy man it's it's super awesome of him indeed but uh 
where was I? I? I brought that up for a reason though. Shoot. Oh yeah. So I was talking to Justin about making Damascus because he's doing all these wicked patterns right now with Kumai trying to figure that out, I guess, and where the, the copper lands. And when you're making Damascus and you layer all of your different layers flat on each other, and then you squash it down, when you squish that down to your flat pattern and you start removing stuff off of your bevel, off of the edge to reveal your layers, mm-hmm. like I understand that that's how you reveal your layers, but I had this thought to myself, like if you took a massive stack or if you were to have all of your layers stacked so that they were all showing like they would, like when you stack them type thing and you had a flat billet in that style, what would I, that show for layers? I don't follow. You mean like having your layers running vertical? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. If you were to have, but vertically, but like a quarter inch thick. Oh, so then, like like big chunky layers. You'd end up with like almost like stripes. Is that what your billet would look like if he? Yeah, like if, if you, you had it all distorted, because that's yeah, pretty you, much what you get anyways. Yeah, is stripes. Yeah, so if you take the normal layout of a billet and turn it 90 degrees, right, you'll end up seeing the edges of all your layers, which is essentially what mosaic damascus is. Right? Right. And if you forge that into the shape, you would be watching lines kind of follow the shape of the knife, which would be really cool. I don't know what it's called, Um, but sometimes they'll cut it up and stack one that way and one that way on top of each other, then they're getting the crisscross. Yeah, different yeah, orientations too. Yeah, there's ways to do it that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that one, the only way to really find out is to try it. If you don't feel like like going whole hog into doing it with steel right away, you could try the modeling clay trick. Stack up some different layers of modeling clay, alternating layers, and sort of just use that as an analog to see what you're going to end up with. Well, man. We're uh, we're sidetracking onto stuff about me, dude, and that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about Adam. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, guys. It's uh, okay. I was going to steer us back a little bit and talk about, about knives, since we're already kind of on that. Uh, you've done some kind of neat sort of experimental shapes, some stuff that's a bit more unique, yeah. a bit different. So what does your process for when you're making a knife look like? Like, how do you do your layout design? Is it something there you just kind of start forging and see what yeah, happens? Or? Wing it. Winging it all, to be honest with you. Just wing it. With the hammer yeah. and see how it moves. And sometimes it fails, and then you just take it to the grinder, and it turns into something else, really. The 2 by 72 is such an awesome tool that, you know, I hammer it out a lot, but there's a lot of refinement on the on the belt grinder for sure. Right I like on. trying different different that shapes philosophy. and styles. They may not all work, may not work, but they might work for somebody. Somebody might want it. Does that oh, velocity yeah. grinder uh, come with a lot of different attachments right off the hop, or does it have them available, or how does that work for you? Uh, yeah, they have all kinds of attachments that you can buy, but to be honest with you, I just use a flat platen. I don't even work, use a workbench. I don't use anything else, just the flat platen, and that's it. Ooh, yeah, cool. no big wheel. Not even a small wheel no, hold. Nothing. No. 
Oh my, uh, you're going to have to get real creative with some of your uh, grinding techniques then. My one attachment to the flat platen that I use is a piece of leather taped to the flat platen. That's my favorite, favorite addition to it. Oh yeah, to kind of like help blend lines and yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's actually kind of a neat idea, putting something soft underneath it. Works really it. well. It's kind of like, it, it's like having just a little bit of slack instead of a full-on slack belt. Yeah, and your blade won't get quite as hot in either, I find. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, the leather is there to help absorb some of the heat and transfer yep. it. That makes sense. Well, that's really cool. It's a neat idea. Yep. You do that across the entire flat platen? Just or... like uh, two inches at the top. So I still have the hard bottom to really gouge off steel, and then the top two inches for working in the bevel or anything that I want to blend the lines into. And I find it helps taking out a lot of scratches with that piece of leather back there. Hmm. Well, that's cool. an interesting technique. Yeah. Might have to try something like that. That's a cool tip. Right on. What kind of uh, what kind of shop are you in there? Because I'm you're in your shop right now, obviously, and uh, you know you've got a lot of looks like a whole wall full of either top tools or something behind you there. Axes. Uh, there, there were. A, a, I was gonna say uh, I saw a number of uh, old vintage axes that you had refinished on your page, and uh, when I was looking around, it looked like uh, you've got. Quite the collection of vintage axes. That was definitely the start of everything, was the vintage axes before I even got into blacksmithing. I must got 300 of them back there sitting around. Holy <laughs> cow. Holy <laughs> gosh. Are you, uh, are you friends with, uh, what's it, Papa, Papa, Papa Axe? Is that how, what is, uh, I remember if that's his uh, Instagram channel now or not. Doesn't sound familiar. Shoot. I'm like an idiot here. Yeah, but you basically got your zombie apocalypse supplies just oh, hanging yeah. on the wall there. <laughs> yeah. Come for a visit, leave with an axe. Mark LeBlanc. Pa Mark LeBlanc. No. Papa Hache. Not familiar. No way, dude. The guy's a uh, crazy uh, axe guy as well. He's in uh, Gaspé, oh, Quebec. Oh, jeez. Nope, never heard of him. That's not far from you, is well, it? It'd be... 12 hours probably like it's quite a quite yeah. a distance oh is okay i didn't think gaspe was that far from uh from bay of fundy not if you fundy, swim Bun bay of fundy i well i've been out that way before <laughs> because um my stepdad's grandparents lived in lac saint jean area in, in saint jean north of lac saint jean and we drove from there all the way to pei and then back across and up to there again. So I've been in that area, but as a kid, the timeline of making it from one place to another and stuff obviously becomes a very blurred because it didn't seem like it was very long to make it from one to the yeah. other. I might probably saw uh, that. The New Brunswick area is kind of a lot bigger than people imagine it to be. Mostly because they've got really nice highways and high speed limits. But yeah, lots of moose where no you are. No moose in Nova Scotia. Well, Cape Breton, which is an island attached to Nova Scotia by a causeway. There's moose in Cape Breton, but the odd sighting in Nova Scotia, but not really. Yeah, it's not like Newfoundland, man, where they're just bloody everywhere. Yeah, eh? Yeah. 
right on. So, so I wanted to know about the shop. Sorry, man. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the shop I built uh, three, three and a half years ago. It's 24 by 30, 10 foot high ceilings. I built it myself, boarded it all in. And this is like my second home. Nice. It's got a classy look. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> this is where you'll find what do you me heat it with? every day off all day long. One side of the shop. Yeah, I think we can identify with yeah. that. <laughs> One side of the shop is dedicated to my uh, boys' race bikes. They both race in the Atlantic Motocross Series. And the other half is the Forge. Really cool. How do you get it heated? Wood stove. I live on eight acres of forest. So we just take our own trees, process it all. That's how we heat our house and our shop. A dream right there, buddy. That's amazing. That's super awesome. Boys can just go race their bikes out in the backyard too. Yeah, we just cleared three acres this summer and we're waiting for a bulldozer to come up. So we're building our own practice track. Oh, cool. That would be awesome for them. Right on. How old are your boys? Seven and ten. One races a KTM 50 and one races a KTM 85. Two strokes. We travel all over Nova Scotia and as far as Moncton, New Brunswick. Right on. That's badass. Yeah. Very badass. Yeah. Fun hobby for the kids. Living vicariously through my kids. Sweet age. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well yep. if you can right do it up right on so getting back into a little bit more of the work that you're doing and uh, blacksmithing of related things you said uh, we were giving a little chat earlier that you were looking at uh, doing some more on the artistic side as well well maybe not so much uh, sculptures or anything like that but more into like the blacksmithing of uh cookware the main reason i bought the forging press is i want to get into cast iron skillets so i'm going to make some top and bottom dies Mm. forge out some nice handles and start doing some skillet work sweet cool doing cookware cookware. i really enjoy making your own carbon steel that's right i really enjoy starting a project and finishing it on the same day it's one of the things i don't really care for in the knife world Start making a couple knives, and then oh yeah, days turns into a week. It is real easy to get bogged down doing knives or any kind of blade work. Like when I'm doing things like like chisels and draw knives and stuff, you've got to be a bit careful because you can really get into sort of just like the absolute monotony of hand sanding. You have 10 knives started. Days and days of fiddling. Yep. Mm, the things right I uh, try to avoid in life. The fit and finish is hey, not speaking to look about to. I don't, like, I don't care for it at all. No, you're not one of those guys? No. Yeah. Well, you know what? It takes everybody a while to find their thing when they're getting into blacksmithing and like I think tons of people get into it 
on the knife making side of things, just because it's kind of like, you know, knives and swords, cool, badass. It's what you typically end up seeing in movies is blacksmiths making knives and swords and things. And, uh, you know, it's not a bad place to start. It can give you some good skills, but gradually, I think a lot of people like will find their sort of thing, their field that they really want to get into. Like with me, it was, it's with the woodworking tools, you know, but with other people doing things like cookware, doing things that are sculptural, like, you know, even just like, like architectural work, doing brackets and hooks and even eventually onto railings. That's what you feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a diverse field. Yeah. Big time. You know, it can change overnight. Oh Oh, yeah. Like I, I used to be big into the idea of making, uh, handmade uh, hammers and axes everything by hand you know no press no power hammer nothing just all by hand no (laughs) pretty good injury that buggered my uh, buggered my neck up and uh, i just i can't handle that kind of work anymore so i was able to handle it for a while but i ain't no alex steel and even alex steel he he eventually moved to power hammers and stuff like that too and he's still a young buck so yeah i i think it's one of those ones where like Doing larger forgings like hammers and axes, you at very least really need to be working with a striker. Yeah, it helps. That's for um, sure. It, it makes a big difference. Yeah. You know, I think everybody should maybe at some point try doing a hammer by hand, just solo. It's doable. Well, you I've know, done a bunch don't of go them. don't go crazy. Do something that's below two pounds. Two pounds yeah. or smaller. Right, because sitting there trying to do stuff like, look, I've done (laughs) so bloody many hammers and axes in my day. I can tell you that it is a better thing for especially somebody starting off and especially somebody who's not some big honk and burly dude, like, because not everybody is that, you know, start off with with a, a pound and a half hammer or make a claw hammer so you can get down to the kind of range, you know, but give it a try and see what goes into it. You know, and you don't even need to go all super complicated with like nice deep fullers, pulling the face off and stuff. Just try to see if you can get to a point where you can punch, drift, draw out some cheeks, finish out a hammer. You know, it's, yeah, it's a t- worthwhile exercise that will teach you an awful lot and maybe just make you appreciate your hammers a little more my first hammer was probably close to a four pound hammer and i look at it now with absolute disgust and i'm just like i was proud of that Jeez, louise and i remember people telling me like you're gonna look back at that one day you'll you'll be proud of it now but you look back at it one day and you won't be so proud and and you know i i get it and everything like that people trying to be nice about it like not telling me straight up like oh it's garbage but yeah. Yeah, I look at it now and I feel that way. Although at the same time, I know if somebody was to show me that and to- told me it was their first hammer, I'd be like, that's good Not bad. It's a Not great place bad. to start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, given that, I mean... Yeah, a four-pound hammer might not be the best place to start because you got a lot more to move. And it's it's not easy trying to hold the drift and a top tool over top of a bottom tool at the same time. It's it's a bit tough. So Yes, it is. And it's, it, it, just because you're having to move so much steel, 
you're having to use harder hammer blades, heavier hammers, which reduces your accuracy, wears your hands out faster. It's just like if you're doing it as a first crack, start small. Yeah. I can't but, I mean, imagine all, all of us that. have done. Yeah. yeah, but I think all of us have kind of got like a couple of examples of things that we made that we thought were okay in the past. They're sitting around in our shop just to remind you like, hey, nothing is ever quite good enough. There's always improvements. You got any of that I stuff kicking sh- around, Adam? Oh, yeah. I, I got some of them hanging on the wall that at the time, you know, I was pretty friggin' proud of and now i look back and it's like oh embarrassed but at the same time it's a just a good lesson to learn and see how far you've come and every i find every night the fit and finish gets a little tiny bit better every scratch comes out just every knife is better yeah those little incremental improvements add up over time yeah Whereas you may not see a radical change uh, between two individual knives, but if you look at like two that are separated by a lot of time, big time, see a lot of change. I was going to say, even like, even on your last days, if you're not looking back at a little bit of your previous work and seeing improvement, like that's, that's the whole point of doing things is just constantly improve. Otherwise you're, it is it, 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 it's, it's it's a tough road there man because there's uh that's part of the human the the downfall of human society is there's our constant need to improve but it's what we do as human beings we just we const we need that improvement otherwise we fall into boredom so i mean if you're not chasing improvement then what are you doing that's right? right definitely <clears throat> If you uh, you started off on the axes and you're so uh, you know into the vintage axes, I'm I'm going to assume you've been making some of your I own. I haven't made any axes yet. I bought I got the billets all ready to go, all cut up to try. And now that I got the press, I feel like this fall slash winter is going to be all about making tooling. I just want to do it the right way. For me, not the easiest way, but the most efficient way. You know, time is money. So I just want to make the right tooling and get it all all going real proper. Figure you're going to make that all yourself just off of uh, YouTube lessons? Yeah, or... for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of uh, material are you planning on using? I've got some, I think, two-inch stuff from Lawrence. I forget if it was 4140 or 5160 what he had there but anyway yeah round stock all caught up uh, oh, for nothing the, big for the hatchets the axe camp size yeah what about for the drifts and stuff like that what do you think you're going to use for that i've got another local guy that just gave me a big bucket full of uh uh bits from uh whatchamacallit the things that break up concrete jackhammer yeah, breaker Oh, yeah. yeah. Some of those can be uh, S7. Yep. Some of them can be 1045. Real hard stuff. S- yeah. S5. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the manufacturer. Some of them can be just 1045. So watch out for those ones because the 1045 is mediocre when it comes to drift material. Yeah. Uh, I'd say 1045 is is a uh, 
a suitable drift material in a pinch. It may not last super long, but uh, yeah, that's yeah, it'll do the I'll job. I'll make the punch or whatever, I w- but I, I wouldn't just bother. pick up one of front side uh, or uh, front step forge, one of their axe drifts. Nice. Hey, for what for you what know, it costs? If too it's... easy. Was that the forty one forty or H thirteen? I believe it's forty one forty. Forty-one. Actually, you know what? In my personal experience, if you don't want to go and get into some of the real like high-speed, low-drag, like super expensive alloys like S7 and H13, forty-three forty makes a brilliant drift. Jeez, I've never even heard of it. So forty-three forty is just forty-one forty with added nickel. Nickel forms fairly sizable carbides in, okay. um, in steel, and it makes it quite tough. It's a great hammer steel if you ever want to use it to try and make a hammer, but it does. It's nice and resilient, makes a good drift. Good to know. Yeah, Nick I, dropping uh, knowledge bombs. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer my uh, S7 or H13 for drift material or punch material and stuff like that. But Where do you get it? Well, I've got a little bit of an inside for my S7, but H13, um, where did I buy my H13 from again? Did I buy it through Sean Cunningham? No. I got some big bars of it. I buy it through Lawrence? Shoot. Can't remember where I got it now. Huh. Yeah, I know wow. here here in Ottawa, uh, F7 and H13 are tough to come by. You typically have to order them in, and if you're not ordering in a whole bar, price can be outrageous. Well, I know I've bought some through Sean Cunningham before, for sure, but the price of steel, like S7 and stuff like that, and H13 has gone up dramatically, so, Yeah. I I'm like all about the salvage steel nowadays. <laughs> yeah. You uh, Adam, do you mostly work with new material, or do you play around with salvage as well? I definitely do play around with salvage. Use a lot of uh, I've used a lot of rasps, like old farrier rasps. Oh yeah, stuff like that. But yeah, most of it's new. Hit up Lawrence. Yeah, I was gonna say like. Normally out in the Maritimes, it is so tough to get a hold of stuff sometimes, but you are just in, like, prime location. Oh, such a blessing. <laughs> able to, oh, man, I'm so jealous. Like, I wish I had a, a, a blacksmithing supplier that close to yeah. me. That's pretty rad. I, was, I picked up a parcel today, and I had mentioned to him that I was making some Damascus, and it was having a little bit of issue, so... He offered to come up. He's going to bring up some steel and show me his uh, his method because Lawrence makes some beautiful Damascus. Yeah, yeah, he's a really good yeah. knife maker. Actually, it's uh, something that a lot of people don't know about when it comes to him. No, but... he's a real maker. Well, I mean, you don't just get into starting that without you know, like at least a little bit of knowledge ahead of time. You don't become you know one of the nation's premier knife making material suppliers <laughs> without having at least dabbled. For sure. Just a little bit, eh? So he's gonna come up to your place and give you a lesson, yeah, dude. I can't wait. 
Wow. Oh, wow. It's going to be a blast. That's so awesome. Just man. so that he can see my forge and see how my stuff works so that I can adapt his technique in my shop. Right on. Very cool, dude. Very cool. I'm jealous. Love you. Love you. <laughs> I, awesome. uh, I'm I'm holding off on the beers because Nick and I have plans to record another two sessions yet Holy. today, so it's gonna be a bit of a long day for us. Well, you know what? I I came down with the COVID there, so I was like right sick as a dog for a few days, and I'm like starting to feel a little bit better last night ish, and today I'm feeling quite a bit better, but I'm not allowed to go back to work yet, so it's like, well, what else am I gonna do? Nick is stuck at home because his truck is effed up. So why not? Let's uh, let's let's record. Yeah, we're stacking up episodes like cordwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we'll do with them, but yeah, we re- release them eventually because we're on this whole train of releasing one a week. Right? That's a lot of work. <sighs> you, well, nothing compared to can iron, right? Yeah. Nick, you want to do can iron? <laughs> Sure. I was actually thinking about going to it, but I mean, if we want to do the digital version, no, I could be like the live reporter. We need to try to go. I can't not go to that one, man. That's something I gotta go to. You got plans to go to the uh, 2023 Canner? Is that going to be live this year? I'm assuming. Yes, that will be live. It'll be in Fergus, Ontario. Like how? Like no, it's recorded. It's, It's it's. it's all uh, post-play. <laughs> well, no, but we did a digital there. In person. Uh, in it's person, all going to be person. in person. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be in person in Fergus, Ontario. And uh, there's a good good list of demonstrators that'll be there as well. Um, one of the ones that I'm um, super excited about is uh, Peter Braspinex. He'll be there. So we look forward to where are you going, Episode Nick? Episode of Cribs. We're going outside. You need smoke. You going for a smoke and a pancake? Go for we're a smoke. Lo- Hopefully it's not too bad. Yeah, we're going to lose you right away. No, that'll be fine. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. So, hey, Adam, man. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just wondering. Well, that was wishful thinking. You got, uh, got into the vintage axes and restoring them and whatnot to whatever you've got a lot of woodworking skills behind you have you heard of the twiller linseed oil at least at i this have point? so uh, on your podcast but many times oh yeah that's right you listen yeah. to our podcast on a religious basis don't you oh no no we don't bring up religion Shoot. Uh, uh, <laughs> i'm gonna have to check that uh, out Do you, so you on say a, something uh, about a darkening linseed oil you guys hear me at all? Yeah. Yeah, we hear you fine, dude. There is a um which one is it again? With pines pine tar hmm. in it? I I didn't find that it gave me that much more of a darker color, to be honest. It was a little bit darker than the regular linseed oil, but I didn't let my stuff soak in it. I just used it as a um 
like wiped it on or whatever but it's it's yeah it's a lot smaller of a jar or uh container than the regular linseed okay. oil is so it's like i think it's 500 milliliters that comes in the bottle i'm gonna have to check it out currently want. i just use uh johnson's paste wax for a lot of uh flat or a lot of the uh iron work yeah you'd like their flax wax probably the best i would say because that's uh similar to johnson's paste wax but nicer hmm. say that don't know that for sure <laughs> i don't i don't use johnson's paste wax or i haven't so i can't kind of give a comparison to be honest you look frustrated nick didn't get cigarette Yeah, so and we were, we're uh, back. talking about the linseed oil there. It's pretty much uh, the stuff that I like to use all the time or whatever. I haven't used the uh, Johnson's Paste Wax, but uh, I've heard of it. I know lots of other people use it, but yeah, no, I've just, I've gotten to the, into the Twiller linseed oil. Linseed oil was something that I fell into using quite a bit right off the hop. And then uh, beeswax was another thing that I used quite a bit, so. Try to stick to like the, I don't know, the natural stuff, I guess, per se. I don't know. But, yeah, I've tried hot finishing with uh, paste wax. Oh my god, it's never stink and smoke up your shop. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I very much hot. hot. Yeah. <laughs> Beeswax is hard on my throat when it smokes. Oh, dude, you think that's bad? Try paste wax. Ooh. Oh, it reeks and your whole shop smells of it for the next day. Oh, that's beauty, eh? At yeah, least it does. It does make nice. Yeah, it does make for a, a, a pretty robust finish once it's hot applied. You know, but it's not that much better than something like just wiping down hot with uh, a linseed oil or uh, with beeswax. You know, I don't know if it's really worth the smoky nastiness. I think maybe uh, for hot finishing, most of the time, I'd, I'd probably default back to the. A nice natural linseed oil product. Yeah, that's what I like to go to there. Well, the the nice thing about that uh, flax wax that um, that the Twiller makes is that it's half linseed oil, half. Well, I don't know if it's half and half, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's half and half is uh, linseed and uh, beeswax. Hmm. Works pretty good for hot finishing. Still, you still get the smoke factor, but you get uh, it soaks in a lot better because of the linseed oil. And then once it cools, it creates the uh, nice over overcoat. But yeah. do you find it really sticky? Um, if you use too much of the flax wax, then yep, it will get sticky. But that's where um, the nice thing I like about their just their liquid linseed oil, like their double boiled, is it it doesn't tend to get sticky. I find I find that it's um, a lot different than it's it's almost got a um, a glossy finish to it like what you would yeah. like like an oily finish more than a sticky yeah finish i think a lot of the commercial linseed oils because they've got chemical dryers in them instead of actually boiling the linseed oil you yep. end up with kind of that like gummy sort of uh finish left on stuff if you're not careful hmm. <laughs> Well, we're going to bring uh, Dawson to Twiller onto the show, actually, in a few weeks here, and hopefully we'll be able to dive into that a little bit with him and 
and some some further science onto how that works because uh, he's the man behind the Twiller linseed oil. When, jeez, uh, Louise, my brain is like a freaking fart machine right now. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's the man behind all of that, and he's the one doing the uh, the gardening of it in Saskatchewan. Gardening of it. <laughs> oh man, how to tell Lando is not on his game. <laughs> yes, gardens his his, his linseed. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's his little flax garden that he's got in his backyard. <laughs> Knocking out a grand total of three tablespoons of linseed oil every day. Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, this podcast is going to be fun to edit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, you're not the one that's going to do it at least, eh? Yeah, that's why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah, big bucks. He does the uh, processing of it. They farm it out there in Saskatchewan and everything like that too. So it's all all out on his family property that they take care of all that stuff where they make the the toilet linseed oil. So start to finish right on his on property. Show. Yep, yep, right from wow. his doorstep to yours. Pretty awesome. Yeah, sweet, good stuff. It's uh, more to say than what you're gonna find when you go and buy it from. Uh, Somewhere like Home Depot or uh, Canadian Tire, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. You're not going to get a sweet sticker with your order either. You're sell- sending out sweet this stickers. Is true. Now. Oh, cool. You got to get yourself a sweet sticker. It's totally worth the order right there, just getting the sticker. And we can save you 10%. If you use the uh, code. Nick, what is it? Oh, you said it to me, but now it's oh, on my oh, screen. Ah. Oh, God. It's Forge Chat 10? Yeah. Forge Chat 10, I think it is. You got it. Nice. <laughs> I was a shot in the dark, but I think I got it. You got it, buddy. Hilarious. <laughs> Too good. So what's in the future for you here, uh, Adam? Where are you planning on going with things? Well, my... Uh... Right now, I'm a production worker. I work for Michelin, North America. I've been there for 16 years, and realistically, my goal is to get 20 years in, four more years, and hopefully by then, I'll have my shop stable enough and be able to produce enough stuff and have enough sales to leave that production job. That's my end goal. I'm going to try my damnedest over the next four years. Nice, man. You got a pretty... Pretty big production facility where you live, or, or near uh, you? Yeah, there's three. Three. Uh, I think it's the only three in Canada are in Nova Scotia, and they're all sister plants. They all kind of work together, and yeah, there's there's got to be like 1,200 people in my plant. Oh wow, crazy! That's a big facility. Yeah, yeah, very That's big. Huge. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> right on. But I mean, now, business, what is all, all our end goal is to be in our own shop full time. Oh, absolutely. We're all looking for some way to accomplish that. Yeah. What do you think are going to be your biggest hurdles uh, trying to switch over to doing this more on the full time side? I think it's going to be diversifying what I do. Not can't just be knives. That's why I'm leaning towards more cookware and, uh, you know, towel racks, toll paper holders, just easy forgings and 
just diversify my whole website so that I have a little bit to offer everybody. I don't want to yeah, leave, put interesting... all my eggs in one basket just with knives. I need stuff that's uh, cheaper, you know, more people can afford different price points. Not everybody can afford a $300 knife. And I understand that. And I want to get all those people. Yeah, that's actually a really smart idea in some ways because while it does pay to sort of like focus yourself down a bit into a field, even then it's good to have stuff that you produce that's at sort of various different price points, yeah. right? And take various amounts of work from you because let's be honest, you don't want to be stuck doing just knives if that's not your passion, if that's not your thing, right? You know, doing some knives now and again is fun, but then, you know, it's also nice to just actually sit at the anvil and work at a forging and end up with something that's done right off the anvil, a forged to finished product, right? And that can be a really satisfying thing. I get, yeah, that's true. I get a lot of satisfaction at starting a project in the morning and by the time kids get home in the afternoon, I, I have something to show them. I, I've finished something, completed something, and that's never the case with a knife. <laughs> rarely, yeah, very, very rarely. There's some guys out there who can do it. Yeah. yeah. But uh It depends on the, the it depends on the complexity of the knife, right? right. Yeah, that's the yeah. other thing. Actually, that's something if you guys don't mind that I'd like to bring up in regards to all this is um, when it comes to deciding whether or not you want to make knives full time and like on a regular basis, like what you're talking about, one of the things that you have to consider is that, you know, if you're going to get into making knives, you've got to get to the point where you're getting better and better and better and better. Otherwise, you're going to be your your customer basis is going to get stuck into this area where you're going to have to start really searching for customers because you you know only so many people are going to buy so many knives or whatever and now you're going to start having to go out above that whereas if you start making bigger and bigger or higher end and higher end knives now you're putting yourself into category of where people are looking for you right and yeah. the jump between those two categories means devoting yourself to making knives yeah, Whereas if you're in, what, doing what Adam's doing and diversifying himself by being that person that can, he can still supply you that $300 to $600 knife, you know, great craftsmanship, but, oh, hey, you've already bought in a knife for me and you're interested in a skillet and a pair of tongs and a barbecue hammer to go along with that knife. Yeah, I can provide that too. Barbecue, right? barbecue hammer. hammer. Barbecue hammer, did I say that? Yeah. Barbecue, barbecue fork? Wow. Yeah, I'm sitting here trying to imagine what a barbecue hammer would be. It's for pounding your meat, buddy. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> good old meat tenderizer. <laughs> that's what she that's what she calls it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But and, you know, uh, like, yeah, if you're uh, if you're diversifying yourself like that by you know putting yourself into a, a different product range, and this is something that Derek Melton has talked about too, and having different price points on things too. Somebody comes to your site and they see, oh well, three hundred dollar knife is maybe a little bit too much for me. They're say they're buying a gift for their significant other or a relative. 
$300 a little bit more than I want to spend. Oh, hey, look, for $100, I can buy myself a uh, a really nice spatula set uh, or whatever, yeah. a Kong set or something like that, right? Who knows where that – I don't know what, what kind of price points those things yeah. fall into for yourself, but – yeah. yeah, I've made quite a few of the uh, barbecue sets this uh, this fall. Just like you know, a meat flipper, a spatula, and a fork, and I sell them for a hundred bucks. And that's in a lot of people's no price points, and they'll scoop them right wow. up all day long. A full set for a hundred bucks, buddy. Yeah, that's a good deal, man. That's a yeah. damn good deal. Yeah, especially if you can uh, get. Uh, Working underneath your power hammer, you can get a lot of the drawing out and the real hard lugging done. Uh, I do one set in an uh, hour. Really quite quickly. Yeah. What? No way. Let's talk about that for a little bit, if you don't mind. What, what kind of material are you using to make these things? Uh, they all start out as a quarter inch by three quarter inch flat stock. And I'll do little pigtail scroll work on the ends, taper them down a little bit. The forks, you know, split the forks. The meat, the meat flipper, usually halfway down. I'll start rounding it out underneath the power hammer, and the spatula is just uh, one sixteenth sheet steel that I cut out on my bandsaw. One hour, nice, just like that, eh? Wicked. That's five dollars awesome. worth of material. Just... Yeah, yeah, and then you, you just know, coat it you, all. You've got your wax. fuel and everything to account for yeah. in there, but that's yeah. you know that's yeah. actually pretty reasonable. Yeah. yeah, and it's good to be able to knock something like that out. Are yeah. you using much in the way of tooling underneath your power hammer yet? Uh, no, I don't have any tooling. I've got flat dies and rounding dies, but no tooling. I like the uh, – I use guillotine tool on my anvil quite a bit for starting out tapers and stuff on, like, the forks and the spatula mm. to isolate the end to spread it out so I put some rivets in for the spatula. But, yeah. Guillotine tool is probably one of my favorite. Yeah. It's worthwhile considering getting yourself, if you're going to try doing production, start tooling up a little bit to be able to do stuff underneath your power hammer. Yeah, for sure. It can make a big difference. Yeah. I think one of the big things that I think anybody who's got a power hammer should sort out for themselves is a set of piss block. Oh, yeah. Whichever way you want to set it up so that it's mounted and oriented underneath there. But just having it so that you can just, you know, go whole hog and end up with stuff forge down to precise size so nice and so much easier and then later on you can get into you know, like spring swages spring pullers other various types of tooling with step yeah. blocks and stuff tooling's a lot of guillotine? it really is it's something that i think it's one of those ones where it's a it's a matter of making the calculation on when it's a, a worthwhile time investment for sure you know, if it's the kind of thing where if you're a hobby smith doing stuff that's kind of one-off, stuff that's not ever under a time crush, you know, and this, you're more worried about actually having your time to get in your forge and work, it makes sense to, you know, eschew tooling for a little while or, or, or to buy stuff if you've got the cash for it. Whereas once you get to the point where you're going to be thinking about tooling up for production blacksmithing, um... Yeah, at that point, tooling becomes just critical. And you can be really... It's actually something that I find kind of fun. It's its a its a quite creative thing to do, right? Between myself and Terry Cash of Who Aaron Forge, shout out to Terry as always. Um, 
you know, for my Holtfest, we've got a whole set of tooling to take it from a piece that's inch and a quarter by three quarter, 10 inches long into a Holtfest. Right. And it's just, oh yeah. And the vast majority of it gets done under the power hammer. You know, I still have to do the upset corner at my anvil and I still have to do the final sort of drawing out and shaping of the the tongue of the Holtfest, the part that actually acts as the spring. You know, but a lot of the actual moving steel around and getting the structure of the whole vest done, you know, that's all done under the power hammer. Wow. Yeah, I gotta yeah. wonder. Oh, another one. Holy shit. Ooh, I love you. <laughs> I'm working yeah. back shift weekends I, it's this one weekend, of those... so tonight's like my Saturday night. <laughs> okay. Let's get wasted. Okay, you get wasted. Lando well, and I. Oh, you know what? <laughs> it's uh, it's only two o'clock here, but it's it's five o'clock where you are, isn't it? Definitely. Or five thirty, yeah. I guess. Four thirty. So okay, I was, I was like, oh, four thirty. Okay, I was like, holy frick, this guy's getting day drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Which we do not judge, by the way. <laughs> no, we would like... be doing it if we weren't in such situations. If I wasn't dealing with COVID, I'd probably be having one right now too. But I don't know how well I'd fare if I had a beer right now. <laughs> oh God, you TKO'd in no time. Well, that's the other thing. My taste has gone to absolute crap, man. I can't taste things properly worth a damn right now. Um. Anyway, but hey, I was wondering, did you make your guillotine tool? Uh that one there I bought online from a maker. I forget who it was though. No, I didn't make it, but it's a simple design. Yeah, there's there's tons of them out there that you can get a hold of. Oh, you've got the H frame kind of style one. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, I think the you you've heard that one called like a smithing magician. That's a typical side of sort of style. I know um, Cloverdale Forge carries one that's pretty sweet as well. It's all put together kind of deal or whatever, and uh, you can change the die size on it actually as well because it's got different. Oh segments on that he's got laser cut out for how it gets put together so you can actually oh, change cool. the, like different uh, inserts for it yeah like everything's all laser cut on it um kind of like the same idea as how some 2x72s are made where the side plates have the laser cut in you know slots in it so that the inside pieces just all gets put together or whatever that's how a lot of stuff is getting manufactured nowadays well, it was the uh, same idea on the Cloverdale guillotine tool, and there's just different slots in different locations where you put, like, the back resting piece or whatever. It can change locations so that it can allow a bigger die in there. I think oh, it's, that's pretty uh, cool. It's three-eighths die or a half-inch die, one or the other. Or maybe it's half-inch and three-quarter. I can't remember for sure, but... I built my own guillotine tool and it's all welded together and I'm wishing that I would have done something similar to the idea where I bolted it together so that I could move that back die. Yeah. Yeah. You see, I built one myself as well. And the way I did it was the whole frame itself is welded, but the front and back plates are bolted on. Mm -hmm. So I drilled and tapped holes that way. When you get a die stuck, you could yep. just unbolt the front or the back and pull it apart and get them out of there because you will get die stuck. Yeah. Eh? Especially if you're using it enough. Hmm. 
haven't had any issues yet, but that worries me hearing that because I ca- I have foreseen that. Yeah, you'll go and you'll do stuff like you'll start getting the bottom of the bottom dime mushrooming, mm-hmm. and you go to try to pull it out. <clears throat> oh no! Mm. All right. Mm. Yeah, that's right. But there's stuff you can do to help prevent that. Just like go in and like bevel the the sides, like all the corners. Keep your of, eyes uh, of the bottom die to make sure that it doesn't yeah. like upset and mushroom out into the the little gaps. True, true. Little things you can do like that that'll help. <laughs> like you might just need to be a little more on top of it with uh, a fully welded together guillotine. Yeah. Okay. Something yeah. to watch out for. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, that's yeah. Nice. Sweet tools that you got going on in your shop there, dude. Uh, well, let's have a look. I got, uh, I do have my old first DIY grinder. I made, I used to own a Jeep and I had a swing out tire carrier on it. And I made it. A couple of lots. Uh oh. Skateboard wheels, small motor. Small platen, but you know what? It gets the job done. It, I use it for a first. That year. is some redneck engineer in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Swing out tire carrier for the Jeep. Does and it still work? Or? Oh yeah. There's not no VFD or nothing. So I leave a one ten belt on it. It's just a popular belt that I use for cleaning stuff up. Just, yeah, it makes sense. It all the time. It's slow. So it doesn't burn anything up. We got the An Yang. Forge nice. size shot, baby. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, that's a, they're adorable little hammers, the little 33s. For me, it's. it's you got your really forge set up right next. It moves quite a bit of metal, too, when it's hot. Oh, yeah. Right. My, my hammer is, my power hammer is only a 25 kilo. Homemade Ford blown, hundred pounder on it. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it a four stair or is uh, because of the uh, frame rate? Can't really see while you're moving around there. But it's a it's a four stair. You have a ribbon burner in there? No, nope, no, nope, just one. Oh, a single burner. Yeah, one of my new tools. Oh, nice. Picked up is a set of torches and the uh, gas saver. Gas saver. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, thing, that thing is sweet. Oh yeah, and for doing twisting and stuff, it's so nice to have ready access to an oxy yeah. acetylene. Yeah, for sure, I love it. And other than that, I'm good for right now. But right on. Now, now Lando's always big on asking people about some of the big and heavy gear in their shop. But one thing that I like to ask people about is. Uh, What's your go-to foraging hammer? I think I lost you here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There we go. Still here on our end. Yep, here we go. My go-to all right, we're all good. is uh, my two-and-a-half-pound rounding hammer. It's got a flat on the other side, but I never, ever use the flat, to be honest with you. I always just use the rounding side. Oh, okay. I got a dog's head that I do like using for bevel work, just a small one, two-pounder. Yeah, that's about it, really. 
Right on. Yeah, I found a lot of people like uh, having a uh, a rounding hammer sword as their go to hammer that they use at the board at the anvil. Definitely, right, but it's always one of those ones. I'm just curious about like what kind of size and weight people are swinging, what sort of uh, what sort of style of hammer they like. Uh, just because you can actually kind of get a little bit from it. Two and a half pounds. Yeah. Hey, two and a half pounds is lots of weight to be doing most metal moving. Well, if you've got a power hammer, then there's absolutely no reason to be swinging anything over two and a half pounds, man. You can get away with just... (laughs) I do anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really need to get my power hammer going. Damn, man. I'll tell you what. I'm so sick and tired of swinging a four-pound hammer. Yeah, I bet you are. My body doesn't like it. But... Oh, oh, Orlando. I, I need to get my... Tri- ah, ah, screw it. Screw it. Let's not talk about that stuff. I'm getting all depressed and like fall into sorrow here. I had um, almost everything needed to build a big forging press. And I got so sick and tired of looking at all the pieces over in the corner. I just recently sold every bit of hydraulic thing I had sitting over there and just bought that one because it's just sometimes those projects get carried away and they turn into a two, three, four, five, or never, never, ever finish them. Yeah. And uh, when you're building your own design, there's always going to be those little things that you don't think about. Uh, and then you have to go back and Repair, modify, replace. Like, yeah, like I've talked about it a couple times here in the podcast. That my uh, forging press is is on at least iteration two, if not three, where it's had several substantial rebuilds, trying to address problems with the way we built it initially. Guys, kind of said I didn't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're ignoring you, Lando. Fuck. Uh yeah, I think I started building my press like four years ago. It was up and running at one point. Just need to fix it again. Actually, dude, I didn't even remember this, but I bought two different size hydraulic valve controls from Princess Auto when they were on sale, and I had them sitting under my shelf. I've got a 9-gallon per hour one and a 4.5-gallon per hour. Because I'm not too, I don't even know what I've got for a pump on my machine, and I, no one can figure it out based off of the information that I've got on it and stuff. And I bought it off of a dude on Kijiji, so no one, what it is, who knows? It's a, it's a three horsepower motor with a pump on it, and it fucking moved a 20, uh, 20 ton cylinder, no problem, or what's 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 supposed to be rated for a twenty ton cylinder or whatever, right? From Princess Auto. So I bought the 50-ton cylinder, and I'm going to see if I can get that going now. But, man, you guys telling me this stuff about how they, oh, it takes so long and this and that. And I've got the power hammers that I need to finish, too. And I'm just like, frick, I should have just, you know, and listening to you saying that you just, I just said, screw it. And I just went and bought it. I told myself this, like, before I moved into this house, I kind of kicked myself in the pants and was like, man, you should have just bought the stuff brand new bought a at the time ram's head didn't exist so i would have gone for something like a coal iron or whatever right and then a two by 72 i was at that time velocity didn't exist either so i was looking at something else back then it's like then i then i was interested in velocity 
had I bought this stuff back then, where I'd be set, I'd be ready to, I'd be rolling right now, I'd be building things. Yeah. But no, no, I've got to deal with all this bullshit of trying to figure out what's going wrong with my truck and wrong with my tractor and fucking can't can't get things built and standard for fuck's sakes, everything's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Lando. Uh, or this is what procrastination leads to yeah frustration it's yeah. hard the one thing i can say is and that's go ahead uh make many of my own tools i don't make any tongs i don't make any hammers i want to spend all my time making things that i genuinely want to make that's it yeah yeah do you I'm have personally a fab- an advocate of making tongs just because it's a good sort of fundamental skill set to have, and it can get you out of a pinch because you'll be doing something. You're like, oh, I really need a set of tongs to do X, and you can just, you know, whip some out, even if they're kind of quick and dirty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. When it comes to like bigger machines, hammers, all sorts of tooling, if you are in a position where you can actually afford to go and just buy it, just buy it. Right? Like, if if it's not what you want to do, you know, there are people out there who love it. That have got a passion for making hammers or, you know, guys who are doing just a brilliant job, you know, knocking out tongs. Like, um, Josh Goss. Oh, my God. That guy makes some beautiful tongs. I bought a bunch of them from him. Sure does, you know? man. Sure does. So does Peter so, LePay. You know, support the guys who have That's passion for doing that. And, sure you know, as long as you've got the money to actually buy it, actually purchase it, you know, go that route. Yeah. No, I agree. Lando, that, for man. you, buddy, though, I really think you should focus on finishing one of your power hammers. Well, my power hammers aren't even in my shop. They're in the overhang area, which isn't gonna probably not be ready for winter anyways so my thoughts are actually starting to yeah my my thought well my grinder's so close to being finished i might as well get that finished and then my hydraulic press is like very close to being ready to go too so i might as well just finish that as well if i've got the hydraulic press going then i don't then not having the hammer going isn't that big of a deal like as long as i got one or the other i can get away with things right but you definitely want to have like if you're starting to get into like you know power forging one or the other um i think if you ask most smiths most smiths would probably go with a a nice power hammer first right like you can do a lot of things under a power hammer that are a little bit tricky to do under Right. Yeah. Having a press is a great tool to have and it excels at doing certain types of things. Um, but you know, if you want bang for buck versatility and, and forging ability, absolutely a power hammer. I can understand that. I don't know, I just uh gravitating towards what's gonna be the simplest for me to accomplish right now, right? Yeah, I don't so much time, so Time is uh, time is a major factor in life. You sure. Well, do? you got the COVID. You got time now. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, came at a perfect time too because the kids got school off tomorrow because of uh, this uh, whole uh, Queen 
Memorial Day or whatever that's going on. I think that's tomorrow, isn't it? Well, that was last yeah. week. Last week. Oh, what's tomorrow then? Why are we getting tomorrow off from school? It's the reason. Is it because? Uh, is it the reconciliation day? Is that what it is? Oh shoot! I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't. I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was today. I didn't realize we were taking. Ah, that makes sense. Okay, because I, I know orange shirt day was today. So. Yeah, we had young I thought that was Nova Scotia walk a hundred and something miles last year from Truro to just down the road for me, and I raffled a knife off for him and. I was quite impressed. We made almost five hundred dollars for that kite. He walked. He was a nice. walking in the support of it. Good for nice. him, man. That's awesome. That's one of the kind of nice things about you know making stuff is that you can quite easily do some little unique things to help support people like that. That's awesome, man. I donated another one today to. Uh, it's called the Valley Bulldogs Football Association, so they're going to raffle that off and put that towards all their. Uh, jerseys and pictures and all that stuff. Huh. Awesome. You doing all the community support? Good for you, buddy. That's uh, well. It's it's good on you to be doing that kind of stuff, and it uh, it, it comes back around too, right? It does every time. Right on. You got uh got any shout outs of anybody that you uh? Want to bring recognition to? Does it have to be a blacksmith? Nope. Nope. Not at all. It's great if, gonna, if it's somebody on Instagram. Yeah, I'm going to shout out uh, my best friend slash tattoo artist. Call Young Tattoos. Hey. You want to see some uh, pretty amazing artwork, you check out Call Young Tattoos. What's his uh, Instagram again? Sorry, uh, Kyle Young Tattoo Studio, I believe. Kyle Young Tattoo Studio. As Lando and I immediately grab our phones, it's like, Ooh, let's check this out. Kyle Young Tattoo. Sweet. Right on, man. He designed my. Up my uh, Black Rock Forge logo and covered me in a couple sleeves. Yeah, you got some oh, wicked, that's awesome. uh, wicked work going oh. on there, dude. Yeah, there's some great stuff on there. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. That's awesome. I was lined up to go for another tattoo in October, and then the uh, date for Man Iron. That's uh, that's Manitoba Blacksmith Guild's. Um, annual blacksmithing event that they have in in the fall every year that got announced to be on the exact same day that i was supposed to go for my tattoo so i canceled my tattoo because i'd rather go to a hammer and it's going to be the first one i've been to this year so finally have the the hopefully i have the chance to go to it frick i don't even know i'm going to get there because my truck's not going to be ready by then so see what happens take your best book Oh, ha, ha, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You can totally roll in there on that thing. Yeah. yeah against the, the doors? It's not a vest, but it's a ruckus. And that's oh. it. Yeah, that's a, it's a Honda ruckus. And uh, you know what? If I can find somebody uh, to double with me there so that we look like Dumb and Dumber, I'm, <laughs> I'm game. I'm all game, man. I'm all game. <laughs> 
I know my uh, my buddy Jesse Delney is planning to go there, but I don't think he'd be down for that if he was. Oh man, you know what? He might Can just we give be you down a ride then. Well, I guess I could do that. Duh. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring my camper so I could spend the night. That was the thing, hey. Oh, it's uh, down at it's uh, tent. This... Yeah, but that all depends on my ride, right? If I'm gonna yeah. stay the night, yeah. It's at this guy, uh, Sean Van Bessler's uh, farm down south of Winnipeg. And uh, he's got a pretty nice shop with a power hammer and all sorts of goodies set up in his shop, too. So there's going to be a Damascus demo going on there from a uh, gentleman, Jordan Mahara. Looking forward to that, man. Be a good time, yeah. I believe that's October yeah. 15th. Uh, I, I think hammer-ins are, are sometimes kind of underrated. So you can really get a lot of fun in it. You can learn stuff, and it's just good to meet people. People who are very like-minded for the most part. Some you, of know, the you all have something in common around. if you're going to be there. Yeah. Some of the information gets passed around at a hammer and is so invaluable, dude. Like, to be there for that moment versus possibly coming across that somewhere in a book or something like that in, in your lifetime, it just... It's so valuable. You'll you'll catch twenty of those things at one hammer in versus one thing in a book in you know in twenty books type thing or whatever, right? Just crazy because that one thing that stuck out to a blacksmith in a book that was like super important, he'll probably bring it up at a hammer in to you, and then another blacksmith will do the same thing, and you'll pick up those super hot tips at a hammer in versus having to read twenty books. Although I still totally recommend reading as many books as possible. It's the number one way to success is knowledge, right? American Rock is my favorite. Oh, there we go. I was going to ask you, you got any books that you like to go to, Adam? There you go. Any others? Uh... The Knife Engineering book. Oh, the Knife Engineering book. Yeah, that's a popular one. That book doesn't get brought up every episode. I don't know. (laughs) I was waiting for it. Half of it, though, I can't even understand it. Yeah. I refer to it as Oh, you think that one's bad? I should bust out my big binder of doom. Binder of doom? (laughs) Yeah, since I'm at home, I've actually got it here. Hold on. I've got that knife engineering book, but I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. Well, I've skimmed through it here and there or whatever, read a couple pages of, of it here and there. And, you know, I, I listened to the Laren Thomas uh, episode on uh, on Knife Talk there. He had two episodes actually now at this point, And both those episodes so are pretty. so far in depth that's over my head. Yep. Metallurgy of steel for bladesmiths and other who treat. Heat treat and forge steel. Oh, it sounds very, very interesting. Couldn't have come up with a more uh, original name, hey? You're muted still, Nick. Yeah, dude, it was, uh, this is put out by Iowa State University. Okay. And, like, you want to talk about getting into the weeds? Like, you're talking about scanning electron microscope pictures and, and, 
heat treatment effects, lots of fun graphs. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, a Have couple hundred the... pages. Have you seen Dr. Laren Turns Dr. Laren Thomas's book? No, not off the top of my head. That knife in the one that he just showed us there, the knife engineering? Yeah, no, I haven't had a chance to pick it up and dig into it. I think I think you'd be pretty impressed with it, man, because it's got a oh, lot I've no of doubt. crazy technical charts in there and stuff too, man. It's insane. The point scared is that on maritime too. Sorry, oh, Lawrence carries it. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. I think this is going to be one of those ones where, because I've already got like so so many blacksmithing books, uh, I might see if I can pick it up through the library, and if not, then I might uh, order it. Or heck, if I actually just end up really liking it, I'll probably order a copy. Yeah. No, that if, if it gets into the weeds of the nerdiness, uh, I I'm all in. Well, it's. Dr. Laren Thomas ran a website for a long time called, um, what is it, Knife Steel Nerds or something like that? Or Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was some sort of nerd, nerd site for knife engineering and shit or something along those lines. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't no. know how well I'm going to do it's... all for the rest of this day here, dude. Yeah, I know. We got two more of these to fill the day, dude. You got to keep it up. <laughs> snap, snap. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Glad I was the first one and not the last one. No kidding, <laughs> eh? And the last one's going to be a late one, too. Yeah, the last one is going to be 10 o'clock my time. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay, lots. No, it's actually 9 o'clock now. Sorry. Oh, it's 9 o'clock now? Yeah, I got him to move ahead of an hour. Perfect. Yeah. All this, That's all right. All I'm game, man. Stuff, eh? we'll, just, we'll just keep doing this all day. <laughs> this is going to be great. You're going to get a couple episodes over the course of a few weeks. You're just going to witness uh, Nick and Lando descend into madness. How am I going to even edit this, man? This is going to be a doozy. So, <laughs> yeah, good luck. I'm glad you're doing it, not me. Okay. Oh, well. Hey, the one thing is, because this will be going out, like, you know, a couple of weeks out, you'll actually have time to do some editing. Isn't it, it comes out on this weekend, dude. Well, yeah, this one will. How we're going to edit, how you're going to manage to edit this, I don't know. But the subsequent ones, you'll have a little bit of time. Right. But that's, uh, yeah, okay, I was talking about this one. Oh, yeah, just, just wait for the, the later ones. This is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, and I got to do it by Saturday is when I'm, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, well. I think I got to get a beer, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude. I've been doing pretty good about not drinking a lot. I I told everybody that I was going to give up the beer a while back there, and I did for a while. I stopped drinking for, what was it, a month or two, two months probably. And cold turkey did for a bit. uh, Yeah, I was just like, you know what? It, it's summertime, and I a, a cold beer here or there. It's summertime. I, I want to enjoy summer. And yeah, uh, come on, all things in moderation. Yeah, I, I've been. I think I've been doing pretty good, man. Keeping it moderate here. Um, as long as I can stay on that train, I'm happy, man. Yeah. Starting to when it starts to go overboard and. 
one of the things that I've learned is it's not necessarily um, that I like to drink too much. It's that I like to drink too much in certain scenarios. Yeah. So if I stay out of yeah. certain scenarios, then I don't drink too much, I find. So yeah, I've been avoiding certain scenarios, and that's worked out really well for me. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Good on you for doing something intelligent for your health, too. What do Unlike you me, who's sitting here, uh, like, typically smoke a half a pack of cigarettes just recording a single podcast. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed I, like, just... Oh, yeah, I don't know what it is about what I'm recording. It's just chain smoking. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe recording here in my house is going to be a little different because I can't just, you know, haul the computer outside. I'm certainly not smoking in my house. What if we steer her back on to blacksmithing here again? Yeah, I wanted to ask Adam, dude. They they brought this up on the Work For It podcast about how, and, you know, it's something that kind of interests me in a way too, but, like, what do you find that you do in your day? Like, how do you structure your day to keep yourself, you know, on target? What's what? Do you have any tricks that you do to keep yourself motivated, to keep a schedule going? My schedule... Well, every day that I'm not in the plant, of course, I'm out here. But I find if I the earlier I start, the earlier I finish. So if the kids get out to the bus at 8 o'clock in the morning, I like to be starting at 8 o'clock in the morning and working flat out till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by then, I'm usually winding down. Just try to get out here. I don't make any appointments for the morning. I just get right to the shop, figure out what I'm doing, get started on it. I'm nice, not a, a solid plan. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not the kind of guy that comes out at nine, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night to start foraging. I'm not like I like to be inside by then. I know, Lando, you're a late night forager. Yeah, what are you trying to say? You got something wrong with those kind of people, or what? Hey, Man, they're a little hey? weird, huh? Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I always tell people I roll into the shop for the crack at two. <laughs> Uh, it's not uncommon for me to be like sitting there thinking about shutting the forge down at midnight. Yeah. Wow. No. Yeah. You know, and I've tried doing earlier morning stuff. Ask Terry Cash about this one. <laughs> he bloody hates the weird schedule that I roll. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I find that it's just my most productive hours. Yeah. yeah. I find when I get in earlier in the morning, like I'm just useless to lunchtime anyways. Yeah. I'm a father that, first. And my kids demand my attention. So usually by like 730 at the latest, I'm inside on the couch with them doing whatever it is they want to do before bedtime. And then that's it. Well, that's yeah. that's my excuse, too, essentially, is I try to try to be a father first. And, you know, Friday night, my kid wants to hang out when I get home from school or when I get home from work. She gets home from school. She's like, Dad, Dad, I want to play and blah, blah, blah. You know, let's do this or that. Sure. Awesome. Let's you know go for a bike ride or let's play Legos or something. Right. For a couple hours. And then it's time for her to start getting ready for bed. And it's like, OK, out to the shop, fire up the forge. It's about nine o'clock at night now. Next thing you know, it's four or five o'clock in the morning, and it's like, oh boy, I better go to bed because I uh, I gotta be up in a few hours here, <laughs> and then start start the weekend off, eh? So it's yeah. that's my typical weekend for me, man. And then 
you know, normally I'm up at six o'clock in the morning for work. So it's kind of a weird flip on a Friday night for me, man. And almost Fridays tend to be a 24 hour day for me, usually almost either Friday or Saturday, one or the other. Man, you're an absolute mad lad when it comes to that. If I didn't do it, I wouldn't. I I just I've tried to have to go other routes. Like I've thought to myself, okay, well, I'll go to bed early Friday night. I'll go to bed at the same time as the kid. The kid's going to bed. It's eight. It's eight o'clock. The kid's getting ready for bed. Okay, let's get ready for bed. I'm in bed. It's nine o'clock, and I I'm, I I can be in bed by nine o'clock. I, I, and I can be out too, which is the weird thing. I can go to bed at nine, but I can also stay up till five o'clock in the morning if I want to. A couple energy drinks, boom, boom, no problem. And I'm up till five o'clock in the morning, right? But I can go to bed at nine o'clock and then I try to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and go to the shop. Well, then there's that whole motivation issue. I walk into the shop and I'm just like, yeah, where do I start? What do I do? By the time I get into the rigmarole of things, next thing, next thing I know, it's noon. I haven't really done all that much. Families wanting to you know do things at this point they're like dad get out of the shop let's do this let's do that or the wife you know honey i need you to go pick up groceries or something it's like oh great didn't get any forging done awesome i should just stayed up till five o'clock in the morning i don't know how many times i've tried it man it's just tested and true Uh, i mean we're all in it for so I get, I work like two days on, three off, three on, two off. So I have the random days throughout the week where nobody's here. The kids are at school. The wife's at work. I can just crank up the tunes and I got the place to myself and nobody's interrupting me. That I can understand your uh, scenario. I can work, all, or work out in your shop all night and you're working all week. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could change my work schedule, but yeah. That's pretty sweet, that schedule, dude. That two on yeah. 12 hours. That's interesting. Shift. 12 hours. Ooh, crazy. Yeah, that's dude. a long shift. Yeah. Ouch. <sighs> I struggle with eight hour shifts. I'm already like pulling my hair out, not wanting to be there, wanting to go home and do stuff in the shop. What do you like? What do you do at your day job exactly? I make the, the bead of your tire. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's called a Tringle. That's just one okay. part of a hundred parts of a tire, and I just do that one part. No way, hey? Crazy. Who would have known that there's that many parts to a tire, eh? Oh, yeah. How long does it take to, a, to make one tire? How long does it take? To make a tire, it probably makes, takes like five minutes to make one, and maybe an hour to cook it or something, but there's so many different parts of the plant, different shops that make all make one product and they all go to the tire builders and they put it all together. Right. Yeah. 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 I was going to say on scales like that, it's often very difficult to kind of like parse down. Like what does it take to make one tire? The footprint of this plant is huge. Two stories. It's you'd have to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, there's no way, like if everybody was to start their, their daily shift off making their parts, there's no way they would make a tire in five minutes. It would take them, you know, it'd take all day for all the parts to get assembled into one area and whatnot. Yeah. I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, production facilities when you've got mass like production that. like that rolling along, you know, 
It's like, yeah. yeah, in that one hour you could make a tire, but you've probably actually made several dozen tires. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how production like that works, man. Yeah. Production Have you ever tried doing else. any production runs of stuff, Lando? Um, kind of. Well, I mean, like, I've worked in production facilities. Like, No, I mean, like, in, in no, your like, per- shop. Yeah, personally, yeah. Uh kind of i mean i've had i've got some jigs for some things that i've whipped up before but i don't know if you want to call it like at what levels i love you (laughs) at what level is something production like you know did i if i make 10 of something trying to make identical multiple yeah if i I, I, roughly identical I but the th- yeah well that's the thing though is like if did you have to make two or three of them I don't really call that production run once you get into like ten or twenty of them then yeah production at that point I'd say for sure and I've had a couple basically when you hit the do. point where it makes sense to start making tooling to do to do jigs. process forging yeah where it's not like make one set it finish it set it aside make the next one finish it set it aside where it's like you'll have multiple bars going you you know. Take one out of yep. the forge, do a step to it, put it back in the forge, pull up the next one. I haven't done it with blacksmithing, really, but I've done it with yeah. my welding. Oh, well, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. No, uh, I haven't it's gotten It's a, a fun to... thing for people to ever try. Sorry, what was that, Didn't Adam? catch that, man. I'm not a fan of making duplicates of anything, but last year I did have to make 20 shepherd's hooks for a wedding planner. And man, I oh boy, anything. This is the hardest thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, doing production work is its own kind of individual challenge. Um, Like I do my holdfasts in runs now, and uh, I've been doing experimenting with like what size of run worked out best for me. Like my last one, I figured out that was too bloody many. Well, by the time I was done, I was so sick of making holdfasts. You know, I did 15 pairs. You know, too many. I think back, I had a guy that wanted me to do some hairpin legs for him. uh, Four of one size and then eight of another size. And to be honest, man... For the time that it took me to jig everything out and make everything proper, just was not worth my time, dude, at all. Yeah, and I mean, I, oh. I'd consider that blacksmithing because I bent, I bent all the bars to shape right, and oh, then, yeah. then I had to weld on the the top plate for mounting it. But I, it, you know, the bending of the bar, I did that in the in the forge because my acetylene torches out of gas and to replace the gas it's so expensive i'm not even bothering i'm just like screw it i hate acetylene sorry guys really (laughs) paint tank for my forge and my torches i don't use acetylene either oxygen yeah that's the way to go oxypropane yeah yeah and you can get away with the same the same torch head or what uh it's a rosebud yeah okay but it's the same one that you would use on acetylene yep yeah. You just need a different regulator, I guess? Nope. No. Well, maybe there is a propane regulator, but it's the same one I use on my propane tank. I'm assuming it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's one thing I'm maybe going to look into doing a setup for, because, yeah, acetylene is bloody expensive. 
Exactly, yeah. dude. It's so crazy, man. It's just not worth it for me. Hey, Nick. Um, we got to look at cutting this short right away here, man, because we got another guest in 15 minutes, my man. Holy cow. I know. Crazy, eh? All um, right. Any last uh, parting words you want to say there, Adam? <laughs> Sorry to cut you off, man. Appreciate it. It's a good time. Oh, dude, I appreciate having you on too, finally, man. Uh, you've been a long-time listener here. I remember you being a part of uh, Canarin with us, so I yeah. greatly appreciate you coming on as a guest, my man. And uh, you know what? I apologize too for having you on at such an odd time in my life with uh, my brain being all fuzzy-wuzzy from COVID. But uh, yeah, it thank you, man. Good. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we're putting out high-quality podcasts. <laughs> All right, hey. Uh... Oh, it's now it's time for. I don't. I don't know if we can whisper. I don't. I don't know if we can whisper because I can't hear anything you're saying when you whisper, Nick. Oh no, my microphone is sensitive. Yeah, it's not working. Oh, no. Oh, well. All catch, right. Catch you all on the next episode. Bye for now. Bye for now, buddy.